Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Hey, and I also want to thank my listeners from around the world. Never Ever Give Up Hope is now in over 70 countries. And that is so exciting because it's not only exciting that we are bringing messages of hope and encouragement to people, but it's also exciting to know that there are people on that cover this entire planet that need to hear this message and they're tapping in. They're getting encouragement. They're getting coping skills. They're getting secrets. They're getting answers. And that's what we are all about. And you know what? It doesn't matter what your ethnic background is or your educational background or your financial position. We're all human. And as humans, we have problems. Every single one of us, none of us have been immune to problems. We aren't we are born into a world of problems and we experience them. And we can tap into people who have encountered the same problems, the same situations, and hear how they coped and hear the message of hope that they have to bring. And so that's what this is all about. I am so thankful for each one of my interviewees. I've had over a 100 now, 100 guests with phenomenal stories of ordinary people who have overcome extraordinary circumstances. And for my guests, I thank each of you who have left positive reviews and who have subscribed to the show. I know that we will continue to bring um, messages of encouragement and hope to each of you, and I thank you for your support. Also, if you have a story, now I've never asked this before, but I feel encouraged to ask this today. If you know someone or if you have a story of overcoming extraordinary circumstances that you would like to share, please contact me. I think that would be absolutely awesome to get some feedback from our listeners as far as someone who may need to hear your story. We just don't have any idea who's out there unless you contact us. So tell us your story. Thank you. With me today, I have Doreen Hanna. Doreen is an author, a speaker, and she's the founder and president of Treasured Celebrations. She'll explain what that's all about. Doreen has had plenty of obstacles that could have easily prevented her from success. These included rejection by her father as a child, and rejection is a huge, huge issue, and also the struggles of being married to an alcoholic. But Doreen soared above these and is now empowering women of all ages to live life 
adventurously. In the year 2000, she founded Treasured Celebrations, a rite of passage program that celebrates a young girl's step from adolescence to womanhood. I'm sure many of us mums and grandmums will want to be buying her book and sharing her book. This sounds like something I've never heard before. I don't know if there's other authors who have written, but I'm excited to listen to what she has to share. Welcome, Doreen. Hi, Carol. It's an honor to be with you today. Oh, we're excited. Now, your program is called Becoming a Modern Day Princess. That is a really cool title. Thank and you. I've, you know, many times when we have our little girls, we want to call them little princesses, right? But to be a modern day it's princess, so true. We just, that's going to be very interesting to see what you have to share about that, which we will do a little later in the program. And also the thousands of lives of girls who this program has impacted. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's start with Doreen's childhood. Now, you have an understanding of rejection as a young girl. So tell us how that affected you and how you dealt with that as a child. As a young child, I began to recognize the lack of my father's love through the fact that he never wanted me in his presence. Really? And that included my younger sister as well. So what he often did when we were little girls is he would get home from work We would have a meal as a family, and immediately after dinner, he required that my sister and I go to bed, Um, and there was no social interaction whatsoever with, with us because he wanted my mom to himself. And so for many years, we obviously felt that very specific physical evidence of rejection by his preference to always be out of his sight. As I got older, in my teenage years, I began to find him very critical of me, my appearance. He would um, he would say things like, you better not eat that or you're going to get more, more pimples on your face. Or if you don't sit up straight, I'm going to make a brace so that you're going to have the best posture. And I had long, beautiful brown hair. And I it was one of the things I felt proud of. And one day he said, I've always liked short hair on women. And he cut off all my, as I began to advance into my teen years, I began to recognize that the boys found me cute, that there was boys that actually liked me. Mm. And so I was quick to respond to that, their attention. At one point, there was a young man, his name was Chad, who'd just gotten out of the service, and I just graduated from high school at the age of 17. He found an interest in me and asked me to marry him within six months after we began dating. And I was quick to say yes. <laughs> and I was so excited that I was going to be able to leave my home right. and prove to my father that someone loved me. And the day of our wedding, my father uh, was going to walk me down the aisle And as he was walking down the aisle, he found an imperfection on my veil. And he said, look at this. 
You can't even do this right. Oh, my goodness. You know, my your, your grandmother could have made this far more beautiful than what you're wearing right now. And uh, so my life, my first 18 years of life were filled with a lot of criticism and rejection. Fortunately, I wasn't physically abused, but clearly emotionally abused. And your so, sister as well? Absolutely. And after I got married, we shortly left um, California. That's where Chad and I were both born and raised. Um, we found ourselves young and impressionable and rushing to a little town called Buford, South Carolina, where he had family that said uh, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Mm. So young and impressionable, we rushed back to find ourselves in what we thought so much was in our history books was alive and well in the South. And I was so happy to have that distance uh -huh. between my father and myself. So for the next four years, I didn't think much about my dad. Nothing was an issue. You know, he was far away from me. I was uh -huh. grateful I didn't have that pain and hurt or words of rejection. And then a four-year stay in South Carolina sent us to Arizona. And by this time, we had two little girls. And we settled in Arizona. And I ended up going to work for a psychologist. As I was working for him, I walked into his office one day lamenting over Chad. Now, he knew nothing of my family history, really. Uh -huh. Okay. But he... As I lamented over Chad, he looked over his desk, he leaned forward, and he said, Doreen, your problem isn't about your husband. You have daddy issues. And I gasped, but I thought, how in the world, what was it that he saw in me that wow. I had never spoken, that he'd nailed it right on the head, Wow! that that was a, a very buried issue in my life? I began to take a look at that. I thought, wow, you know, maybe that's something I need to address because I know I'm holding a great resentment against my father by this time, uh -huh. recognizing it and addressing it as that. So that particular afternoon, I had gone to a bookstore to find a gift for a friend. And on the end cap, uh, as I walked in, was a book called The Blessing, rent, uh, written by Gary Trent, um, John, I'm sorry, John Trent and Gary Smalley. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. They've been talking about that recently at my church. Let me, let me take a look at that book. So I picked it up and I read the back of the book and everything about it was about a father's blessing. And I thought, hmm, that's something I never got. And it talked about how you could get past that, of uh -huh. course. So I thought, oh, I've got to read this book. So I picked it up. And for the next few days, I began to read every chapter voraciously. And I kept turning the page and turning the page and <laughs> saying, I wish my father had been like that. Mm. I wish my father had been like that. Wow, wouldn't it have been great if my dad had been like that. And I got to the last chapter, Carol, and it said, 
if you never received your father's blessing, begin to bless him. And I wow. guessed. And I no thought, kidding. Wow. Mm -hmm. So it took me a few days to absorb that. And I said, God, if this is something you're using, I'm going to courageously step forward and begin <laughs> to do this. By that time in our life, Chad and I had, as I said previously, moved to Phoenix. Well, my parents had decided to move to Phoenix from California. And uh, we're, we were within two miles of each other. Hmm. So God was setting me up. Let me just say that. <laughs> I remember once in a while, I'd see my dad and it just, hi, dad. How are you? It's good to see you. I'd made some simple act mm -hmm. of affirmation. I noticed he would be responsive and, and my father was Hispanic. And if I was ever in good favor with my father, he would call me Mija not by my name. If I was not in good graces at all, he'd always call me by my first name. So I noticed whenever I'd speak to him, and now I'm in my mid-20s by this time, and he said, well, thank you, Mia. I'm fine. So I began to recognize that he was receptive to my acts of just mm -hmm. being willing to engage him, say something nice. He was a carpenter by trade. I'd go by his uh, shop and say, gee, that's a beautiful piece of work, dad, or looking for an opportunity to begin to affirm my father. Well, after several months of this, I felt like I'd built up the courage to talk to my dad about how I felt as a child. Really? And I thought, oh, <laughs> it's time to do this. And I'm nervous as I'll get out, but I feel it's a have to in my life. So I called him up and I invited him to lunch at our uh, a favorite restaurant in, in our community. And of course, it was a Mexican food restaurant. I said to my dad, Dad, I said, I, I want you to know that I believe that somehow you must have cared about me as a child because at least I had a nice home I always had nice clothes but dad I felt like you never liked me and he began to weep and believe me before I as those words fell out of my mouth I didn't know if the table was going to tip to my side or really? whatever yes yes but he began to weep, and he said, I did not know how to love you. And he said, and when I married your mother at the age of 19, I wanted her to myself for the first few years of our marriage. And as you know, you were a honeymoon baby, and within nine months after we were married, you showed up on our doorstep. And he said, I was angry oh. that you were a responsibility and not a pleasure in my life. And you interrupted my agenda for my life. But Miha, I want to tell you right now, would you please forgive me? Amazing. Amazing, Carol. It was amazing. And so simple. I could not believe that 
what could have gone on for years in my life. Yes. I had the privilege of encountering a book that challenged me to take a risk that ended up turning in to a tremendous blessing in my life. And I want you to know that life wasn't perfect with my dad from that point on. Because of my marriage with my husband, he insisted in every way he could to try and control my life to leave my husband. Oh. And uh, so there was those challenges um, that I encountered with my dad, and he seemed to transfer his anger to one family member to another, and it got to be the joke between myself and both my sisters. One sister who was close to me in age by two years is the other sister that experienced a great amount of rejection. But my youngest sister was born when I was 18 years old, and she had a whole different father. Isn't that interesting? You hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. Amazing, you know. Now, what about um, you? You referred a couple times to the marital struggles. This was a result of your husband was an alcoholic. Is that correct? That's correct. So, how Jack, did you cope with that? Well, our early years of marriage were wonderful. We had I, I married Chad because we had very similar backgrounds as far as family church, all those things that you would think are the most key in in successful relationships. However, after a number of years of seeing Chad drink quite a bit, I noticed that he was not able to uh, handle the amount of alcohol he was drinking after a while. Mm. And um, so... Pretty soon, I found that he was enjoying going to work after uh, going after work to to have a drink with his friends more than he was willing to come home. So that added to my sense of rejection and fear and what he was spending out of our family budget that would meet his needs for alcohol and. And, of course, I've come from this very conservative home. And all of a sudden, let me just say that his family was a party family, and that's what I loved about them. <laughs> I mean, I, if if alcohol is what it took to have fun, then I was open to that until after I a few years of being married and recognizing the pain and struggle that comes with a functioning alcoholic. At one point... I was actually working for, um, I was on staff with the church that we attended there in Phoenix. And I was asked to to teach a class on marriage. And so I thought, well, this will be interesting. <laughs> I don't have a perfect marriage. But I don't know why you're asking me, but okay. So I began teaching the class. And within weeks, two girls come to me at the end of the class and they say, um, I want you to know the term even alcoholic was not a familiar term to me at that time. I didn't even know they had AA. I mean, I knew nothing about that community yet. 
So I had these two girls come up to me after one particular Bible study, and they said, Doreen, this is a great class, and I'm learning a lot. But do you ever speak, or have you ever considered spending one week about and talking with wives who are dealing with husbands who are alcoholic or drug abusers? And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. I said, well, there happens to be a new guy on staff here who's an alcoholic drug abuse counselor. I'll ask him to see if he'd be willing to come in and speak with us. So I went back to him, told him what the girls had said to me, and he says, I know just the perfect person for you. I'll have her here for you next week. So sure enough, I met her, and that day came, and um, I introduced her to the group, and I went and sat on the back row in the class with the rest of the ladies. And she said, she got up and she says, I'm not going to tell you what the alcohol or drug abuser is. She says, I'm going to tell you what a wife of an alcoholic looks like. Oh, my goodness. And Carol, she read my mail. I thought she lived in my closet. I could not believe that I was the perfect profile for the wife of an alcoholic. Huh. Well, in my pride that day, and for the next two years, I buried it. I didn't talk to anybody about it. I felt a great level of shame. I thought, I don't know if I could continue in the church if I told anybody that Chad uh-huh. was an alcoholic. I mean, I just struggled. Until one day, I Chad had taken over my dad's cabinet business for a short time because my dad had had back surgery. And uh, I walked into my dad's shop and I opened up the little refrigerator there and there was a bottle of uh, vodka. And, and I'm going, oh, my gosh, Chad said he'd never drink vodka. What in the world is this? Because my dad was not a drinker. Uh-huh. What in the world's going on here? So there'd always been alcohol under our cabinet in our, uh, in our kitchen at home. And I accepted that as the norm. But then I left and got in our truck and I accidentally jumped the clutch. And so the car jerked and out rolls under uh, from the front seat of the car another bo- bottle of vodka. <laughs> And my heart sank. I thought, wow, you know, I I can't deny where we're at at this point. Right, right. So I went to the drug counselor who was on staff, and I said, I I need to find some help. And he says, Doreen, I've known Chad's been an alcoholic since the day I met him, but he is a great guy. He says, you may not be able to change Chad, he said, but you can change you. Here we go again, right? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, okay. So I ended up going to an Al-Anon meeting and finding myself in a very safe place. I found that the women in that meeting were women that were on all different kinds of journeys with their 
their alcoholic okay. child, their alcoholic husband, whoever it might be, and the different stages they were in, some who were choosing separation, some who were choosing to stay because that's who they loved and were just going to live it out, knowing that he was an alcoholic and that was his choice, but they loved him and wanted to stay with him. And so I saw the dynamics of one thing. They all had peace in their heart about their choices. And a big part of that came because of the loving support they found in Al-Anon. And that's where I began to find my safe place. It wasn't in church, which I was faithful in church, but I found my safe place among some lovely women in Al-Anon. So it went that way for the next 18 years. Did 18 we have some years. 18 years. And we separated four different times in that 18 years because he would go to such extremes in his alcoholism that I couldn't do it anymore and I'd separate. And it was interesting because the first time we separated, it was for three weeks. The next time, several years later, it was six months. The next time, it was nine months. Hmm. And the last time we separated, I left in an affair. And we were separated, and I filed for divorce. Um, and we were separated for 18 months. And I had made a clear, according to my terms, perfect. I'd lost 40 pounds. I was looking good. Men were finding me attractive. I, I was had a place of my own. I had a good job. Everything was saying, you're okay here. It's all good. And yet, what, what's this? Why, why in the world am I crying? You know, I'm, I'm having these spurts of tears and I don't understand why. And all I remember is this voice in my heart saying, I've been waiting for you to be willing. And by this time, I know that I'm supposed to consider reconciliation with chat. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. I don't know how this would ever be a possibility. I know he's involved with somebody else by this time. And my daughter's wedding, my oldest daughter, was getting married in three weeks. So I knew I was going to be flying back to California to see him and would see him at that, obviously, at the wedding. I called him up the next day and I said, Look, Chad, I'm going to be in for the wedding. We need to do something and to divide up the property. Because I didn't want to let him know that I was even willing to consider reconciliation because I thought I might be setting myself up for a secondary rejection. Uh -huh. <laughs> I flew into California a couple weeks later. Guess what, Mom? Uh, Dad stayed home from work today. I said, oh, is that right? She says, Yeah. He's making filet mignon and strawberry shortcake for you for dinner tonight. <laughs> and uh, when I got to Chad's door that night and knocked on the door, after 24 years of marriage, I'm now knocking on his yes. door. <laughs> and he opens the door, and there's a look in his eyes, a gentleness, a kindness in his eyes that I hadn't seen in years. Uh. And when I walked in the door, and I just blurted out, Chad, 
what would you think if I told you I'd be willing to consider reconciliation? And Chad began to cry. And he gained his composure. He said, I went to something called Promise Keepers three weeks ago. And he said, and I recognize the biggest problem in our marriage is it's been all about me. And I, I wish I could say that was a great end of the story, Carol, but it wasn't. Seven months later, he was drinking again. And I attempted suicide because I was so distraught over his decision. I wasn't successful. The, sharp, the knife wasn't sharp enough. I have some scars left from the necks in my arm yet today, but I recognized that I couldn't even manipulate Chad enough in my attempt for suicide for him to stop drinking. And it wasn't till seven years later I waited that Chad got sober and the last 12 years of our marriage were alcohol free. Oh, that's wonderful. That's incredible. Thank you for sharing that story. I know that there's going to be people that will relate to many aspects of it and to hear a happy ending is in your perseverance, you know, to stick it out, even though there were those glitches where you were separated. I mean, nevertheless, you did it. And look at the oh, results. Look at the results. It really was. To, to be able to have those last 12 years before he passed away in 2014 was a great gift. Is this where your passion came to help women make decisions, even as young girls? Like, how did this connect your experiences with your husband, your father, and everything that you went through? Does this relate at all to what you're doing now in helping young girls make this transition into womanhood? Absolutely. One of the things that I, the book starts that, that has been published, I focus on the family titled Raising a Modern Day Princess, starts with my story about my dad. The whole program is created out of a Jewish girl's bat mitzvah. I did a study on that because I saw the need for preparing for a talk called Celebrate You're a Daughter of the King, which is a big vocal reference to just general vocabulary in society. A daughter of the king is a princess. So that's where the I, title came from. That's where the title came from. And so what, I ended. Go ahead. I'm no, just going to say, so what does that program entail? And what do you. It entails equipping young girls between the ages of 12 and 14 about the importance of healthy relationships, improving their relationships, first of all, with their parents, mom and dad, the value of choosing wisely their friends, those relationships, and of course, because it's a biblically-based program, we also talk about the importance of a relationship with God. We also talk about the importance of appropriate etiquette and manners, the importance of recognizing your feelings and that life isn't generated and we don't react about our feelings. We begin to evaluate our life through choices, wise choices. Mm. And then this 10-week program ends in a celebration wherein their father or another man that they respect in their life publicly crowns them a princess oh. 
and imparts his blessing, just like the Jewish father does on a regular basis to his children. Um, and I truly took the basis, a much more simplified approach of what the Jewish community does for their girls over a year's period of time to prep them for young womanhood. And I consolidated that program into a 10-week, not one-year program. And, and have you seen some real changes then? Oh, Carol, the stories are phenomenal in the life-impacting changes that happen over and over and over. Uh, Carol, I uh, originally saw this program as an American-based rite of passage. It first went to Canada within a few years after, and I've, I, I've been in existence 16 years now. Within five years, it went, it went across Canada. With the youth today, the program's been implemented in every state in the nation and in 22 countries across. Oh, my goodness. That's what I say, Carol. That's it's amazing. beyond my dreams. I've been invited to South Africa. I've been invited to Ghana. I've been mostly invited to Australia to do leadership training for women who have a heart to mentor teen girls with this program because of the life-impacting changes it has made in so many girls' lives. There was a young girl. Can I tell you a quick story? Absolutely. There was a young girl that um, father had sexually abused her, and he he was into drugs, and he was incarcerated, and yet she wanted to take this program, but she feared who would bless her at the end of her, you know, journey. And there was a kind man at her church who was an usher who had always been kind to her mother and her. But she herself was a little girl who I could identify with in her struggle of feeling so rejected mm, by her father that she had chosen to do drugs and, of course, sleep around. And so she had a low self-esteem and didn't even think herself worthy to take the class. But fortunately, that particular leader saw her need and kept reaching out to her till she finally said yes. Well, she took the class and it was life changing. And this usher stepped up and we called them step in dads in the program. Those mm -hmm. are wonderful fathers to the fatherless. And I mean, he just read her mail beautifully in seeing the character qualities that mm. she had within her and just validated her. And it didn't end after the ceremony. He began to take um, her out, her and her mother, and just take him out for dinner and continue that healthy male role model in her life. Well, she sends us a story uh, about a year after this is all over, and she writes to tell us that she remembered so many nights that she couldn't remember what she'd done, but she had carved in her leg the word horror in her inner thigh. And within a year after the program, one day she got out of the shower and that word horror on her leg had completely healed. <laughs> and she said, just as my heart has healed, so my body is healed. 
from what I once was. Isn't that amazing? It really, um, that's just a simple story. Right now the program's being implemented in Ghana in a correctional center, a county facility, county facilitated correctional center for teen girls. And it's stories like that that gives other parents hope too, right? When they, when I'm assuming these are in your book, some of these stories. Yes, they are. Okay. And how, and you also have your course online. Do you share that in the book as well? Or yes. uh, what I'm saying is do you give tips like in your book or is that from your course or Whereas do they, you need to get both if you want to get involved with this program or, or what do you, what's your call to action here? Here's your two, two calls to action. Parents can read the book and they can implement it in their home with family and friends doing a sweet celebration at home for their daughter if they prefer. Or there's a leader's guide and girls journal that can be facilitated in a group setting where that can be in a mom who invites her daughter's friends to facilitate such an event. It's in homeschool academies. It's in Christian churches. It's been in uh, public schools. I actually have a community-based program that's been used in um, Department of uh, Youth and Family Services um, events. Um, and that is a state-approved program that it's a community-based as well as the faith-based that's been used in all of these different venues. And, of course, many, many churches have used it across the country and the world today, I'm so humbled to say. Are there any other programs um, that it can compare to, like, or is this basically it? Is this a unique program that is not copied any other way? You know, it ha- I have only heard of a couple other rites of passage programs that other people have created but honestly uh i don't know of anything else that's out there so you're it well (laughs) by the grace of god i guess (laughs) no that's good because we need to really tap into this and and make sure that um it gets out to the audience because obviously there's a need for it there has been a need far greater than i ever imagined like I said, when I first created it, I thought it was an American need. And never in my dreams did I think it would be an international need. But it comes down to the core of girls needing to find out their value. I was going to say self-esteem must be a huge part of this. Oh, it is. Uh, our theme is helping them to find their purpose, value, and strength. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that. I mean, I appreciate you sharing your story, of course, too. But this is so exciting to uh, hear what you are doing and the far-reaching effects that it has. And I certainly am going to be promoting both your book and your program. And hopefully we will be able to touch many lives, many young girls um, as a result. The other thing is in the story that you shared today, it was a very tender story and that's pretty unusual even for this program I appreciated what you shared about your father and to watch his heart turn tender as a result of your obedience and then your husband and all the back and forth struggles that you had through the separations etc and yet in the end because of 
your gentleness and your ability to stick it out and be obedient to what you felt you should do. You had 12 years of the best years of your life. And you never would have had that if you had not been obedient to, you know, what you knew you needed to do. Because it's very easy to be negative in this world and Mm -hmm. to just ignore those promptings. But I appreciated that. And um, we we probably should talk again in six months or so. I'd be honored, and, And see what, you know, let's talk a little more about this program and maybe share some more stories as time permits. I think that would be awesome. I'd be honored to do that. Let's let's plan on that. So thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate what you shared today. And we will get this message out. And let's see how many girls' lives and other women as well, not just girls, right? That's correct. I have a curriculum now for women as well. There you go. Okay. So let's. (laughs) That's right. Empowering women. There's my mission statement. Empowering women to equip our girls. There you go. All right. Thank you again. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.